because we're gonna go through a lot of scriptures today. Um, so this week we're gonna take a break from from what? Shadows of Golgotha, correct. We have been talking about pictures of the cross in the Old Testament almost for the last six months. We're going to take a break today. Uh, we're going to celebrate the resurrected Christ. We're going to talk about the resurrection. And then next week, we'll go back to uh, talking about the pictures of the cross in the Old Testament. So if you have your Bibles with me or if you have your notes, we're going to read from Philippians chapter 3, verses 7 to 10. And um, let me read this to us. This is Paul, and he's writing to the Philippians, and he say, But what things are, were gained for me? He's talking about his conversion and how he came to know the Lord. And he said, Whatever was gained for me, these I have counted loss for Christ. Yet indeed, I also count all things loss for the excellence of knowing of the knowledge of Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered loss of all things, and count them as rubbish, that I might gain Christ. Isn't that just wow? So powerful that I might gain Christ and be found in him not having my own righteousness which is from the law but that which through faith in Christ the righteous the righteousness which is from God by faith verse 10 that's where we're gonna stop today that I may know him and say that with me and what and the power of his resurrection this is the phrase, the, the clause we're going to stop at today. The power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering being confirmed to, to his death. It just hit me this week. I was just thinking about what I want to share. And it hit me that in the Bible, it is so many times where the scripture associate the resurrection of Christ with the word power. Here's one incidence for it. Remember, see what Paul said? He said that I may know Christ. And then when he thought about the resurrection, he thought about the word power. And he said the power of his, his resurrection and then the fellowship of his suffering, to know him in his suffering. But Paul associated resurrection with the power. power. Amen. And not only in this incidence, a couple of other times in the New Testament, particularly Paul, always associate the resurrection of Christ with power. Let me show you to you. 2 Corinthians 13.4, talking about Jesus, he said, For he was crucified in weakness. That's true. You see, him, you see them just pushing him around him, him carrying his cross, being beaten and smitten and stricken, and he cannot say anything. You look at him being going to the cross or being crucified, you would say this is weakness, right? He was crucified in weakness, but lives how? By the power of God. He starts living through the resurrection by the power of God. And then he said, for we also are weak in him, but in dealing with you, we will live with him by the power of God. Romans 1.4, talking about Christ again. And it says, and he was declared to be the son of God. How? In power. in power, according to the spirit of holiness, how? By his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. Do you see again, he's associating the resurrection of Christ with power. Ephesians 1, 17 to 20, talking about, he's praying now for the Ephesians, and he said that God... Uh, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him, that the eyes of your understanding may be enlightened, and that you may know. Okay, now he's associating things together. So what is Paul doing here? The hope of his calling. So associate calling with hope. And what is the riches 
of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. So inheritance has riches and glory. Verse 19, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his mighty power? Verse 20, which he worked in Christ when he did what? Raised him from the dead. So do you see what Paul is doing here? He's associating um, calling with hope, inheritance with riches, and then he's associating the resurrection of Christ with what? Power. 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 Again, do you see? I think this is a common theme now. That Paul usually associates the resurrection of Christ with power. power. So that's what we're going to talk about today. The power of his resurrection. How God displayed so much power. Even Jesus himself exerted so much power when he rose again from the dead. Today I want to focus on three things. We're going to talk about how in the resurrection of, of Christ God declared his power over the powers of darkness, the principles of darkness. Number two, over the power of sin or the nature of sin. And number three, over the power of death. Let's say it together so I know you follow me. You had a headed breakfast. I don't mind waking up, stand, making everybody stand up. So don't let me do that. <laughs> what are the three points that we're going to be talking about today? The three things that through the resurrection God showed power over. Number one, the principalities of darkness. Number two, the nature of sin. And number three, the power of death. So let's talk about these three. Number one, through the resurrection of Christ, God demonstrated his power over the principalities of darkness, the evil powers. Where do we get that from? Multiple incidences. I'm just going to point this one out to you guys. Ephesians 1, 19-23. Let's read that uh, passage. Very interesting. Now, that's pretty much what we were just reading earlier. And here is what Paul is saying. He's talking about Praying for the Ephesians that their eyes will be opened so they can see the immeasurable, what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to his working, according to the working of the strength of his might that he exerted. How did God exert this power? Paul goes through four different events that are sequel to each other in which God exerted his power, showed his power, right? First event that God showed his power was when he raised Jesus from the dead. Right after that, God did something else. He seated him at, the, at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name to be invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. This is step number two. Step number one, God shows the power when he raised Jesus from the dead. God still showed power when he seated Jesus at the right hand, at his right hand, far above every name to be named. Number three, and God placed all things under his Feet. That's the third step. The fourth step, and he has appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Amen? Amen. So do you see that? Four stages that Jesus has went through, and throughout these four stages, God showed so much might and so much power. Amen? So let's dig a little bit deeper. Let's zoom into all of that. Verse 19. This is crazy. This is a lot of... Uh, we're going to almost go through that verse word for word. Amen. So when Paul said, "Let's," I want you to see this immeasurable greatness. That two words, immeasurable greatness for his power. The Greek for that is hyperpalo megathos. 
Megafast we know, mega. Mega is what? Great, right? We get it, the English word mega from there. So megafast is greatness or something so huge, so big. And then the word before that, which is immeasurable, that is the word hyperbalo. In Greek, that literally means to overthrow. It's like this. I, this is how I imagine it. When you play and then you have a line and you say, let's see who can throw the ball to the the closest to the line and then somebody overthrow and pass that line surpass that's literally I think how it means it means literally to surpass Paul saying the surpassing power the surpassing greatness of his power amen let's see who remembers now we talked about this word before when we talked about the exceeding riches of his grace in Ephesians chapter 2 right and we said that Paul used that word hyperpalo overthrown overthrow three times in Ephesians. He used it in Ephesians chapter 1 to talking about the surpassing power of God. Ephesians chapter 2, the surpassing grace of God. And then Ephesians chapter 3, the surpassing love of Christ. When he said, I want you to know the, the height and the depth and the surpassing love of Christ. So he's pretty fan of this word in the book of Ephesians. Amen? So here is what Paul is saying. He's saying that I want your eyes to be open so you know that the, the, the power, the greatness of the power of God that passes every single limit you can put for it. You put a limit to the power of God right here, it still passes that. Every time you put a limit for the power of God, it's still passing that. So Paul is saying that power of God is so great that it surpasses every single limit you can set up for it. And after Paul used that word immeasurable greatness, he actually used four different Greek words in, in verse 19 to describe the power of God. This is so good. So four different Greek words Paul used here in verse 19. I put it inside the verse. So let's go back and read verse 19. He said, I want your eyes to be open that you might see the immeasurable greatness of His power. power. That's the Greek word dynamite. Dynamus. That's where we get the word dynamite from. Toward us who believe according to the working. That's another Greek word for power which is energia. We get for the word energy from, right? Of the strength. That's the word kratos in Greek. Another word for power. Of his might. That's the word eskais. Which mainly ability or inherited power. Something that he owns in his own strength. So Paul used four different words to describe the power of God that was shown up starting in the resurrection of Christ. Amen? Amen? You guys start seeing what Paul is trying to say here. There's a lot of power that was shown in the resurrection of Christ. Amen? Amen. The first word is the word dy dynamis, where we get the word dynamite from. And that's literally mean the miracle doing power. That's, we, we see this Greek word associated with a lot of miracles in the life of Christ. The second word, which is um, energia, this is a very interesting word because it is exclusively used in the New Testament to describe the power either of God the Father or Christ or Satan. So we're not talking about any sort of human power here, right? We're talking about superhuman power, right? So we're superhuman power which God only associated with the Father, Christ or Satan. It really literally means uh, it's a power shown in exercise in operative power. That's the second word Paul used. The third word that Paul used here is the word that literally means katas, which is force, strength, or might. It can literally mean dominion or manifested power. It drives from the root kara, which is to perfect or to be complete. So again, the word here is dominion, strength, might, something to that extent. 
And the last word that Paul used here, which is, um, I, uh, let me see what is the word. Um, that will be the word, Escus, uh, correct, uh, something like that. The word here literally means somebody has the power within. It literally means holding that power inside. It literally means ability. I am able in what I have within me to accomplish this. So that word literally here means ability. So let's try to translate, after all, we went through all these words, that Ephesians 1.19. Let's look at what Paul is trying to tell us here. He's saying, I want your eyes to be open that you might see the greatness that passes every limit you ever set to it of his miraculous doing power toward us who believe according to his superhuman power in action of his dominions that can only be afforded because of his personal ability. Do you guys see the point that Paul is trying to emphasize here? Amen? Amen. Paul is telling us that God has demonstrated so much power. I mean, I think Paul would have used more words if he could find any. The problem is he just ran out of words. There's nothing else he can say to emphasize the fact that God has exerted so much power when he raised Christ from the dead. Amen? And when we, we saw that from the text that it's kind of four stages, right? Number one, God raised him from the dead. Number two, God seated him in the heavenly places. Number three, God put everything under his feet. And number four, God made him the head of the church, right? But it all started with the resurrection. If it wasn't for the resurrection of Christ, there is no power could possibly be even invested in any of these other actions, right? It's the resurrection, the power that started being exerted in the resurrection of Christ that made all the other events that Christ has went through actually even possible. Amen? God has shown so much power when He raised Jesus from the dead. We see similar idea that Paul talked about in other places as well. Philippians 2, 9-11. We talked about this before. Therefore God exalted him, that's Jesus, to the highest place and giving him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow of those who are in heaven, on earth, and under the earth and every tongue which will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. What Paul is trying to tell us here in Philippians is precisely what he was saying in Ephesians. Jesus was raised from the dead and now he's seated far above every name to be named. Amen? That includes every name of hell, every name of demon, every demonic spirit, whatever name is there, Jesus' name is now far much higher than all these demonic names. Amen? When God raised Jesus from the dead, He declared victory and power over all the power of darkness that now every name of demon is subject to the name of Jesus. Amen? Amen. That's what Paul also was saying here in Philippians chapter 2. God exalted Jesus far above every name to be named, even of the ones under the earth. What is under the earth? What he's talking about? Demons, right? That's the ones he's saying here. He's saying when Jesus rose from the dead and He was exalted all the way to the right hand of Father, now every name, even every demonic name, will bow the knee to the power that is in the name of Jesus. Amen? Amen. And God, that will happen only because Jesus is on the right hand of God, and that could never have happened if Jesus would have not risen from the dead. Amen. Amen. 
If he would have not risen, he would have not been at the right hand of God. He would still be in the grave. Amen? It's the resurrection of Christ where God demonstrated so much power over every demonic power there is. Jesus said something similar to that. Matthew 28, 18. Jesus came to the disciples. Now that's after the resurrection, before the ascension, okay? Jesus came to the, them, to the disciples, and he said, All authorities in heaven or earth are given to me. Question, when did Jesus say that? After the resurrection, right? After the resurrection and before the ascension, that's when Jesus said, now all authorities, every single power is being delivered to me and now I can exercise authority over them. Amen? Yeah. When Jesus rose from the dead, he conquered and defeated every power of hell. Amen? Amen. Not a big amen. Amen? amen. I will be a little bit yeah. more excited than this. <laughs> Jesus rose from the dead and he defeated Satan and all his principalities and powers. Having, amen. Having said that, what, what we're not saying is this. I'm not saying that Jesus didn't have authority or power over Satan and his principalities before the resurrection. And I'm not saying that Jesus is having authority over Satan and his principalities just because of the resurrection. Right? So how is it working? How, if Jesus has already power over them, then what is the resurrection has to do anything with Satan and his powers? i tell you how it works. That scripture in Hebrews chapter 2, I think answered that question to us. So we'll read that, Hebrews 2, 14 to 15. Since the children, that's you and me, have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity, so that, look at this, this is the key right here, so that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free all of us whose their lives were held in slavery because of the fear of death. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let me use this analogy. I was thinking about this the other day. Let's say that we start having um, a nuclear scientist start coming to our church. Okay, This guy is an expert in nuclear science. And every time he venture into his job or what he does for a living and talk about nuclear science, we all like dumbfounded. We don't have the slightest clue what this guy is talking about, right? And we feel so dumb because he's just use all these big words and we don't know what he's talking about, right? And that's his area of expertise. And in a way, every time he comes here to talk about his job, we just let him say whatever he wants because we cannot come to that area and have a discussion with him. That's his area. We'll just stay away from it. Amen? And then two months later, a professor of nuclear science starts coming to church. I'm prophesying, amen. Okay, so a professor of nuclear science starts coming to church. And now he's asking that guy who's been here for a couple of months all, all sorts of questions about nuclear science. And that guy actually doesn't know how to answer him because that professor is a whole lot better than him when it comes to nuclear science. Amen? amen. Okay, so that's precisely what Jesus did in a way. Satan, Satan has that area of expertise. He has that dominion over us called sin and death. And you and me are eternal. And every time the word death comes to us, we're just so afraid of what's going to happen after we die. This is not anything we know about. We're not familiar with that area. Amen? And because of the fear of death, and this is Satan's dominion, he happened to hold us in slavery all our life. Amen? Yes. But praise be to the name 
name of Jesus. Amen? Jesus came from heaven. He went to death, to the cross, and he died, and he did not end up in the grave. Amen? He rose again from the dead, and he conquered Satan in his very area of expertise. Amen? And because Jesus rose from the dead, he defeated the one who has the power of death, that is Satan, and released you and me who lived all our life in bondage because of the fear of death. He released us into freedom once and for all. Amen? Amen. That's how I think the resurrection of Christ gave him so much power over Satan. Jesus went to Satan's very territory, his very area of expertise, and he defeated him there. Amen? Amen. Jesus says something similar to that in Luke 11, 21-22. He said, when a strong man, that's Satan, fully armed, guards his own place, right? So you have a strong man, tons of armies, uh, tons of weapons, and he's guarding his own place. And what happens after that? His goods are safe. Nobody can come close to that good man, that, that strong man, because, because he's just very well armed. Amen? But look at that remaining of the, the second verse after that. But when one stronger than he does what? Attacks him and overcome him. He takes away his armor in which he trusted and divides his spoil. spoil. What is Jesus is trying to tell us here? He's saying that there is a strong man who has a territory, who has his own place, and he has his own captives, his own goods in that place. And because of his arm and his might, he thinks he locked them in and everything is secure. Amen? Now, Jesus said there's somebody stronger than that strong man. Listen, this stronger one did not go to the strong one and say, hey, let's take this out. He didn't say that, right? He went to his very own territory, amen? And he defeated that strong man in, very, in his very own place. He took his goods, he, he destroyed his armies in his very own territory. Amen? Amen? Do you see where Jesus is going with that? Because Satan has the power of death. Jesus went to the very territory of Satan. He destroyed his weapons and he has taken us free from the bondage that we were living in. That's what Jesus, I think, was referring to in Luke chapter 11. Amen? Amen. Yes. When Jesus rose from the dead, God exerted so much power because he defeated Satan and all his principalities in their very area of expertise. Amen? Amen. I don't know about you, but if you're here today and you're still living in that fear of death, I go out and I talk to a lot of people about Jesus and everyone is like, do you think you're going to go to heaven or hell? Oh, I'm going to heaven. Why are you going to heaven? Oh, I'm a good person. But I'm not asking you to tell me something that I would like to hear. I'm just asking you to look into your conscience this morning. Are you really sure you're going to go to heaven if you die today? Are you really, really, really sure? Or you're just, mm, maybe. I, I hope I will, but I'm not sure I will. Does it scare you to, to think about eternity? I mean, in this day and age, I would not try to be not right with God one single second, right? You don't know what's going to happen with all these crazies outside, right? right? Are you sure you're going to go to heaven? Or are you living in bondage, in fear? You're still trying to do good works because you're just so scared of what's going to happen after you die. And you still try to please God. You're trying to do all what you can to make Him happy. Hopefully, hopefully, hopefully one day He will be pleased with you and let you in. 
Well, I have some good news for you today, amen? You don't have to try no more. All what you have to do actually is to quit trying and trust Him who died for your sins and conquered Satan and death once and for all. If you come to Him today and say, I cannot do it, just do it in me. Jesus, the living Christ, will come into your heart today and He will make you brand new once and for all. Amen? Amen. You don't have to live slave to Satan. Jesus already conquered Him. So in, in the resurrection, God demonstrated power over all the powers and principalities of darkness. But not only that, God demonstrated power over the nature of sin. Let's look into that uh, passage in Romans 6. Now Paul, I told you guys about this before. Uh, there is a book called The Normal Christian Life by Watchman Nee. If you get your hands on it, you need to study it. This is an amazing book. Watchman is one of my favorite authors ever. And in his, this book is pretty much an analysis to the book of Romans. And what Watchman Nee said in his book is, in the book of Romans, if you read through, there is a shift. Paul did a shift between the word sins, plural, to the word sin, singular. In the, and somehow in the middle of the book, he shifted from talking about sins to talk about sin. And when, Watchman Nee, this is an amazing, I believe it's true, when Paul was talking about sins in the beginning of the book. He's talking about breaking the law of God, our action of sin, lying, stealing, manipulating, cheating. This is sins that Paul was talking about. But then in, I think, starting chapter 6, 7, and 8, he switched to the word sin. And he's not thinking about one action that we do. He's talking about our nature of sin, the falling nature that makes us sin. So Paul, in a way, is thinking that we are fountain of water who keep producing bad water because the fountain itself is bad, right? So that fountain that is bad is our sin nature that keep on producing sinful actions that displease God. So in this passage, Paul is not dealing with sins, what we do, our action. He's dealing with sin, our nature, that causes these actions to birth from us that is displeasing to God. So Romans 6, 3 to 11, here's what he say. Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Remember what is the point of baptism in the scripture is this. Once you accept Christ in your heart, once you repent of your sins and you're born again believer, you're going to heaven based on that. To show the world that you actually made that commandment, you go get immersed in water and then you get raised from the water. So baptism is not essential for salvation. It is just an outward action to show the world the in-heart commitment that you have already made to follow Christ. And that's what Paul is talking about here. He said that, we who were baptized, who are already born again and now have been baptized, were baptized into his death. Just like Jesus died on the cross and rose again, we also were died with him when we made the commitment. Jesus was buried, so we immerse in the water. Jesus rose again on the, on the third day, and so we rise from the water. Verse 4. We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that, look at this, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of God the Father, we too may live a new life. What Paul is talking about here, Paul is saying that we, let's say Cami, I have a sinful wicked nature in me. And let's call it Cami because Cami is pretty wicked in his own self. And Cami is trying to please God, but the problem is Cami doesn't have what it takes to please God. His, his nature is just so wicked and so evil, he cannot do the right thing. 
And then Cammy comes to the realization one day that, hey, I cannot please God in my own good works. Therefore, I'm going to trust Christ and Christ alone for the salvation of my soul. And when I do that, Jesus takes my very sinful, wicked nature that can never be fixed. And Jesus crucified it with himself on the cross. And now Cammy, the, the, the wicked self-nature of Cammy, has been crucified dead with Jesus on the Christ. And just as Jesus was buried in the water, I go under the water. And just like Jesus was raised from the dead on the third day, Cammy comes out of the water. But guess what? It's a new Cammy. Amen? That's why the Bible says, if anyone in Christ Jesus is what? A new creation. Well, what happened to the old one? It has been crucified with Christ. And the one who lives now is not the old self, Cammy, but it is the life of Christ. The new life that Christ has put in me. Amen? And that's what Jesus, Paul is saying here. We have been, we have been dead with Christ on the cross. We have been buried with him when he immersed in the water and we rose with him in a new life just as Jesus was risen from the dead. Amen? Amen. Verse 5. For if we have for if we have been united with him in the likeness of his death, we will certainly also be united with him in the resurrection like him. How, 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 what is the assurance of that? If you die with Christ, you will be risen with Christ. What is the assurance here? Paul said, for certain, there's no question about it. If you die with Christ, you will be risen again with Christ. The only difference is the one who rise again is not the same one who died. Amen. The one who died is the old self-wicked nature that is kept, in, kept us into bondage, displeasing God and kept producing these sins from us that we cannot get rid of. Amen. But because of the death of Christ and the resurrection of Christ, now we died with Him and because He rose again from the dead, we are brand new creation because of the resurrected Christ. Amen? And when Jesus rose from the dead, He destroyed once and for all that cruel master, the inside inner passion and desires that kept us slave to please a holy and a righteous God. Amen? Amen. I tell people this when I try to tell them about Jesus. Sin is, is a multifaceted problem that we have with God. It's, it's just so complicated. It's not just you do something wrong and you seek forgiveness. There is so much more into sin than just being forgiven. Sin is breaking the law of God, right? And when you break the law of God, you are under the judgment of God. Puts you under the wrath of a holy and a righteous God, right? But sin is beyond that. Sin is also a nature, a, a something in us that is keep enslaving us. It's our desire. If, if, if sin was just an action, then no one ever should be enslaved to alcohol or smoking or any sort of bondage, right? The reason people live in bondage because of sin is that because sin is also a nature, a force that keeps enslaving us to do the wrong thing and not pleasing God. Amen? Amen. Now God dealt with all the aspects of sin when Jesus died on the cross and rose again. Amen? Amen. How come? When Jesus died on the cross, He paid the price of our sins and He took care of the penalty of sin. Amen? And when Jesus rose from the dead, because He is alive, He can give us the power to change. And once and for all, He can take that nature of sin away from us and it will have dominion over us, over us no more ever again. Amen? Amen. Let's read that in verse 6 and then we'll move on. Verse 6. For we now, for we know that our self was crucified with him so that the body, look at this, the body ruled by sin might be done away with that we should no longer be slaves to the nature of sin. 
Amen? Amen. When Jesus rose from the dead, God exerted power over the powers of darkness, over Satan and all his kingdom. When Jesus rose again from the dead, God exerted power over the very nature, the very force that was enslaving us to do what is not pleasing to God. Let's move on to the last one. When Jesus rose from the dead, God exerted power over death. Now, death is a horrible word. I don't know if anybody who will get rejoiced when he hear the word death. It's just always depressing. Why? Because of what's going to happen after death, right? We don't know. A lot of people who don't know Jesus don't know what's going to happen. And that is what's depressing about it, right? And they cannot run away from it. This is the other problem with death. Even if you try to avoid it, there's no way out. So here you are, doomed to die, and you don't know what's going to happen afterward. Amen? But are you guys ready for some good news? Not really? All right. Amen. Acts 2, 23 to 24. Now Peter is preaching in the day of Pentecost. And he's talking about Christ. And he said, Him, he's talking to the Jews, to the, the elder of the, of the nation of Israel. Him being delivered by the determined purpose and the knowledge of God. You have taken by lawless hand, have crucified and have put him to death. But look at the good news here. Amen. Whom God has raised up, having loosened the, the pains of death. Because it was possible, right? It was not possible that he should be held by it. Amen? What Peter is telling us here is this. They took Jesus, put him in the grave, thought that the, 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 that master that is called death, that pretty much has ruled over every single human soul. You know what? Jesus is just like everybody else. He'll go there, he'll stay in the grave just like everybody else, right? After all, who rose from the dead? Almost nobody. And even the ones who rose from the dead, guess what? They died again, right? So there's no way out of that. And they thought it is done. Amen? But friends, it was impossible, the Bible say. It was impossible, the Bible say, that death can hold the prince of life. Amen? And Jesus rose from the dead and he conquered death once and for all. Amen? Amen. Now we know what can happen after we die because our Jesus has already conquered death and he rose again from the dead. And now we know that we have life, not because we're good, not because we deserve it, but because Jesus has died for our sins and rose again from the dead. Amen? Amen. 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 1 Corinthians 15, 54 to 57. We'll close with that verse. Now, Paul is talking about when Jesus comes to take us home. And he said, when this perishable, this our very nature, our bodies, has been closed with imperishable, and mortal with immortality, then we say that which is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up to victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, Hades, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, He gives us the victory through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen? Amen. One soon day, friends, one soon day. Amen? The King of kings and the Lord of lords will come down from heaven with the voice of an archangel with the trumpet of God. Amen? And those who died in Christ will rise from the dead yes. first. And then those of us who are alive 
till he come, all of us will be raptured together and we will meet the Lord on the clouds. Amen. And when our eyes behold him, the one who loved us, who died for us, who rose again from the dead for us, we're going to shout that cry of victory, that shout of those who are more than conquerors. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, Hades, where is your power? This has been swallowed up. Amen. And one day we'll go to heaven and we're going to dwell in the city of God and we will behold him. And I have good news for you, friends. There is no death there. There is no tears there. There is no pain there because we're going to be living with almighty God because of Jesus, what he has done for us when he died and rose again. Amen. Amen. Jesus and God, the Father, has demonstrated so much power when Jesus died for us and rose again from the dead. Amen. Amen. Let's close our eyes and pray. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord.